This morning it is our plan to finish our walk through the book of Hebrews. Hard to believe that we began our study in the book of Hebrews in January, and here we are in June, final Sunday in June, finishing up our walk through the book of Hebrews. Our plan is to next go to the book of James, to do a summer series in the book of James. So we'll continue on to the next book of the Bible. doesn't always happen, but we thought it would be appropriate and applicable uh, this summer to go through the book of James. But Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 25, we're going to look at this morning the benediction of this letter, this sermon to the audience of Jewish Christians struggling with sticking with Christ, not abandoning him in the face of opposition. Thus far in our lives, we probably haven't faced a lot of opposition because of our following Jesus Christ. We might have faced the odd look or comment, but overall hasn't really impacted our lives, our ability to make a living. But that day may be coming to a close, even here in our own country. It always costs something to follow Jesus Christ and it will no doubt cost more and more in the days ahead. And so the book of Hebrews ought to be very helpful to us and applicable for us as we face these new realities and challenges. And one of the greatest parts of this great book is this benediction, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 25. So let's read it together, uh, if we can. I'll read it as you follow along. And again, if you're here this morning and you're visiting, everything we do at Grace Baptist Church is founded on and rooted in the Bible. This is the Word of God. This is not our thoughts or opinions or pet peeves or hobby horses. This is the Word of God. And so we want you to have a copy of that Word of God if you don't. If you don't have one with you, under the chairs in front of you, there should be a copy of the Bible there. And I believe it's on page 948 or 949, Hebrews chapter 13 verses 20 through 25, and if you don't have a copy of the Bible, please take that uh, home with you. That is our gift to you. Hebrews chapter 13, starting at verse 20, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. This is the word of God. This morning, then, we want to end where the book ends, where this letter ends, where this sermon ends with this concept of grace. So the sermon this morning is just titled, Grace. It is the desire of the author for his audience to have God's grace. We spent Friday evening and Saturday, uh, part of our family and some of the families here at Grace, at an event at Emmanuel Bible Camp called Rikapuna, put on by Ethnos, and what a joy and a delight it was to be a part of that, to hear testimonies from uh, the individuals that are there, veteran missionaries, 
many of whom went into tribal peoples that had never been touched, uh, never been discovered, unknown prior to their arrival, do not have the word of God. It's believed that there are almost 2,000 languages currently in our world that do not have the word of God in their language, and Athnos is on the front lines bringing the word of God to them. What a joy and a delight to hear even from other veteran missionaries who were in certain tribes, even as children with their parents, and to be able to go back as adults and deliver for the first time to these tribal peoples the Bible in their language, and to see the grand ceremony and the light in the eyes of individuals, to have the grace of God, to go from individuals who were completely bound by fear, fear of everything unseen and unknown, to have grace infused into their lives. Jesus Christ transformed their hearts and their minds and then walk in accordance with him and to go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It was fascinating because as we were there, one of our own, uh, James Kelly, James has become a part of the Grace Baptist family recently. Uh, we were able and privileged to hear from him uh, his testimony, to see him baptized recently. We were sitting around the campfire the first night out there, and he made uh, quite a statement. And so I made sure that he was okay with me sharing this with you this morning. But James was hired, uh, his company was hired to do some work at Emmanuel Bible Camp, some fencing. And he remembers very distinctly being at Emmanuel Bible Camp the last time he was there, hating every minute of it. He was not a believer at the time, was certainly searching, but was very angry, certainly angry at God. And he remembers it distinctly because he had tried and was trying and ended up trying many different things, perhaps everything but Christianity. And those things didn't bother him. Many different beliefs, there's many different ways of thinking out there. None of those bothered him in particular, but Christianity for some reason really got under his skin. He just hated the, the, the preachers that he now listens to and enjoys and to be there at Emmanuel Bible Camp, and some of you here in the congregation have history there, and you know that place and, and what it has stood for since the 50s. And to be there doing this work as a hired contractor and just hating it, just thinking, how can they do this, just indoctrinating kids in these lies, and just hating being there at Emmanuel Bible Camp. And there sits James Kelly, now a part of the Grace Baptist Church family, voluntarily <laughs> at Emmanuel Bible Camp, just eating up the word of God and, and loving being there, listening to how God's word is not only penetrating the hearts and lives of individuals here on PEI, but across the globe and going into tribes where they've never heard the name of Jesus. That's grace. That's God's grace. We define God's grace as God's unmerited favor, and that's a fancy word of saying undeserved kindness, that God would bless us with anything is of his grace. But we make the mistake oftentimes of believing that we in any way deserve it. We look at ourselves and sort of size ourselves up and say, well, in my case, God's grace sort of makes sense, right? I mean, yes, it's God's grace, but I mean, look at the deal that he got when he got me, I mean. We fail to realize that it's not just God's unmerited favor to someone who is nice and kind and gentle and helps the little ladies across the street and is neighborly. 
No, it is God's undeserved favor to us who hated him. We were among the children of darkness. We believed ourselves to be God. We wanted nothing to do with him. And he pursued us, would not let us go. His mercy indeed is more. And he fought through our hatred of him, our hurling of insults at him, our scoffing of him, our indifference and ignorance towards him. He fought all the way through that with his love, wrapped us in his arms of love, held onto us, and would not and will not let us go. That is grace. To see James, a hater of God, to now love him, and to speak with him at lunch yesterday, and for him to say, still battling with cancer, if God takes me, I'm with him, and if he leaves me here, I can serve him, life is great. That's grace. And that's what the author of Hebrews desires for all of us, for all of his listeners. Why would you run from God's grace? Why would anything other than God's grace seem attractive to you? Why would anything other, anyone other than Jesus Christ loom large in your vision? How could anything, any other belief system, any material thing, any relationship, any grudge that you hold, any amount of pride your heart contains, how could anything be more valuable, more worthwhile, more worthy than Jesus Christ? How could anything be better than grace? And so notice in verse 20 the foundation of grace. There's a lot packed in to these verses. And as you are well aware, whether it's 20 verses or 5, there's a lot here. The author of Hebrews gives us the foundation of grace in verse 20. First of all, we see the grace of God's peace. Now may the God of peace. God is peace. He defines for us what peace is. God is eternal repose. Nothing flusters the Almighty. The Trinity does not, does not ever freak out. There's no panic in the throne room of God. Inner peace. To be completely at home in one's own skin. To lack nothing. This is who God is. And he offers that to all of us through Jesus Christ. Not just cessation from war and conflict, although that alone would be brilliant. But no, more than that. We are born struggling to know who we are. It is a question that everyone asks. Who am I? And the answer can only be truly found in Jesus Christ. Through Christ, you are or can become who you were created to be, a son or a daughter 
of the Most High God. Family to the creator of the universe. That's who we are created to be. We are created in the image of God, image bearers of the one who spoke all things into existence. We are to have his character and to reflect who he is. We are to be like him, to be like Christ. And the more we struggle against that, and the more our society and our culture tries to violently deny their own design, it is always disastrous. A denial of God is the way of darkness. But to embrace him, to submit to him, to delight in him is the way of light. And only he can give you what you are desperately seeking for if you do not know him, and that is peace the God of peace. Notice the grace of Jesus' resurrection, foundational to all of this, is the cross work of Christ. How can enemies of God, haters of God, be made righteous? How can we who are far from God, running from him, be brought into his embrace? Only through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. One of our greatest fears is death. It is the great equalizer. We struggle with our own mortality. And the reason why there is death is because of our sin. It's not how things were created initially to be. God created all things to have life and to give life. God is a life-giving being. His first command to the first two humans is, go forth and multiply. Fill. Genesis 1, and the earth was formless and empty. And what does God do? He fills it abundantly. He is one who celebrates life, and we ought to be the same in a culture that celebrates death. Our God is life and celebrates life. Death comes as a result of sin and rebellion. Pain and suffering and hurt and heartache and grief and loss are all as a result of a rejection of the one who is life. And so what did he do? Before he ever spoke anything in existence, knowing what our freedom would bring, he had a plan that he would send his son willingly to come enrobe himself with humanity to be 100% us, which by the way he still is, that is the depth of his love, to live righteously to die sacrificially and to rise again from the dead triumphantly. Why are we here this morning? Because on a Sunday, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb alive. Death could not hold him. And so he bore the penalty for sin that was not his own so that we who have sin could have his righteousness and his life. That's the foundation of God's grace, that he can be both just and the justifier of those who are unrighteous. This is the foundation of God's grace. 
God gives us peace, offers us peace. How? Through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That violent death, not just because it was crucifixion, because of what happened in those three hours from 12 noon until 3 p.m. Where God the Father treated God the Son as if he had personally committed every sin you and I will ever commit, even though he had never committed one. That's the foundation of God's grace, what makes God's grace possible. But this was not done begrudgingly. This is not the son saying, well, I don't know, Dad, that sounds like a really bad plan, but I guess if that's what you think, we'll go ahead with it. No, 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 no. This was done from a heart of love that is impossible to put into words. And notice what Jesus Christ is called, the great shepherd of the sheep. There is love and affection and tenderness here beyond our comprehension. Jesus did not go to the cross unwillingly. He went to the cross out of his love for you. God's love, the Spirit's love, the Trinitarian love for a people lost. Again, to hear the stories, too numerous to recount, of individuals that sacrificed their lives to go and tell people who have never heard of Jesus and have no opportunity to do so. There are two billion people currently on our planet who do not interact with a believer on any level, have no interaction with anybody who believes in Jesus Christ. And these individuals went and lost their lives to do so. And to hear of the wives of men who lost their lives going into the same tribes to share the gospel with the people that killed their husbands. There is a love here that is impossible for us to fully wrap our heads around. It is that love that we are loved with by Jesus Christ the righteous. The shepherd of the sheep. To be called a sheep is not a flattering designation. Sheep. Completely reliant on others for help. And Jesus in John 10, among other places, is called our great shepherd. Psalm 23, there's a reason why Psalm 23 is so precious to Christians. Oftentimes read at hospital bedsides. Yes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your right hand will lead me and guide me. Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, leading us to the green pastures and to the running waters. All that our soul craves can only be found in him, and he offers it fully and freely and loves to do so. He guides and he protects. He leads and he comforts. He binds our wounds, provides balm and healing for our souls. Weeps with us, Jesus, John 11. Jesus wept. He has become one of us. We do not have a high priest, Hebrews has previously said to us, 
who cannot fully embrace and feel what it means to be human. He knows us in all of our frailties because he became one of us. Who does that? Everybody wants to go up. Nobody goes down. Look at everything else that's out there. What is the message? This is where you are. But through these steps, through this incantation, through this set of rituals, you can go up. Christianity is the only religion, and it's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's the only thing out there that tells the truth. God came down. The shepherd of our souls. And then lastly, in this point, the foundation of grace, the grace of unshakable promises by the blood of the eternal covenant. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews already made this comparison and contrast, the blood of Christ, the blood of Abel, and the blood of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. But Jesus' blood, because it is eternal, seals the eternal covenant. We struggle sometimes with doubt. Despite all of this, there are moments where we are low and we struggle with doubt. Am I really loved by God based on my current circumstances? Do I really love God based on my current actions? Doubt is a part of the Christian experience. What is the one thing we can always go back to? The unshakable promises of God's word. God will never leave you or forsake you. He loves you so much, he sealed it with his own blood. He gave his life for you. God is not going to decide at some point in the future that he's done with you. I think every one of us in here have had our heart broken at least once. If you haven't yet, buckle up. Betrayal. Someone that we thought loved us now no longer does. And it is a great fear that we have, as our brother Tim Keller said, we lost him this year. To be fully known and fully loved is at the heart of every human being. To be loved but not fully known is superficial. It's something that we struggle to settle for. But to be known and not loved is one of our greatest fears. And that's why, even with those that know us the most, there's still pieces of us that we are hesitant to reveal. And yet God knows us more fully than we know ourselves and loves us greater than we could possibly imagine. And he sealed it with his blood. All of that packed into this verse. The writer of Hebrews wants to end where he began. Jesus is superior. He's superior to Moses, to the Old Testament covenant. He's superior to ethnicity. He's superior to culture. He's superior to angels. He's superior to anything else out there. His grace is beyond anything else. Run to it, don't run away. What does that look like? Verse 21, the outworking of grace. He says, equip you with everything good 
That word equip could mean a number of things, or at least two things that I want to bring out this morning. In the first place, grace does equip us to do the will of God. How else could we offer grace to others if we have not received it from the hand of the one who made us? What does grace even look like? We operate on a human level in a very different sort of interchange. I'll do something good for you if I believe you can do something good for me. Maybe I owe you one. Or maybe I want you to owe me one in the future. We do good in certain ways to certain people. But it's very transactional and ultimately only benefits us. That is not grace. What benefit do we offer the one who has all things? What can we possibly offer to the one who spoke all things into existence, including us? We bring nothing to the table. Human relationships are not one-sided. Our relationship with God is. He's the one. He's the one that loved us first. That's why we love him in return, 1 John. And so the only way that we can show grace is if we receive grace from God. To live a grace-filled life. To show love not just to people who love us already or who may give us something in return, but to love those who are not lovely or very lovable, and even more to love those who are our enemies. It's another story that I came across a number of years ago. White police officer in the, in the States needed to make some arrests, was unbeknownst to his detachment on drugs himself, doing all kinds of things in his personal life, really struggling. Picked up a black individual that had done nothing wrong, arrested him for nothing, and this individual got charged and imprisoned. This white police officer loses his job because of his addictions. And he and this black man end up working at the same cafe upon this black man's release. The white cop having come to faith in Christ and the black man having come to faith in Christ in prison. The white cop didn't immediately recognize the black individual that he had arrested on zero evidence or charges, but the black individual certainly recognized the white cop. Forgave him. This white cop stole years of life from this black individual. They're brothers in Christ. And they now travel around to churches and tell their story. That doesn't happen without God's grace. And there's story upon story upon story that could be told. Grace equips us to share grace. But also, grace repairs There is a part of this word that talks about restoring that which has been broken. Anybody in here this morning, not by a show of hands, feeling like a failure? Anybody messed up this week? Anybody in this morning that had an opportunity to show love to somebody and didn't? Anybody in this morning that's holding a grudge against somebody else, maybe even in this place? 
Anybody in the sin this week? What does grace do? Romans, where sin is super abundant, where's grace? Even more abundant. Grace greater than all of our sin, which is not then a license to sin more. What does Paul say in that same passage? God forbid. What does God's grace compel us to do? Rely on it all the more. Every morning, his mercies are new. And it's a clean slate through his forgiveness and grace to that day show him to those around us. Grace equips and grace repairs what is broken. There is nothing that you have done or will yet do that can cause God to love you any less than he currently does. And he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. Seek his forgiveness. Confess your sins. Know and be confident that he will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and send you out again to shine as a light in a dark world. Grace gives us purpose. Equip you with everything good for what purpose? That you may do his will. The day that Jesus met you is the day that you died. And that's not a bad thing. That's a glorious thing. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I still live, but the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We've heard a lot through these last few years about rights. I've got rights, man. I want to gently let you know, if you are here this morning as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have no rights. You gave that up to follow him. You gave up self-preservation, self-gratification, anything to do with self to follow him. You died. And now he lives in you. And it's the best thing you've ever done if you've done that or he's done that to you. It's not even a close second. It's not even comparable to what your life was before. A heart of hatred and jealousy and greed and envy and lust. A heart of fear. To give that up to serve the one who made you and to be transformed into his likeness. So much better. So why are we here? To argue for our rights? To plant our flag? To do things that we want to do? No, why are we here? We're here to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords until he returns. We don't, we don't, our lives aren't ours anymore. They're his. To again be at Ethnos Rikapuna this weekend and to see three generations of missionaries. To see Tim's parents go into the jungles of Indonesia and Grace Baptist supported Tim's mom and dad to go into the jungles of Indonesia and to bring the gospel to a people group that had never heard the gospel. And then Tim and Kathy do the same thing and go into the Moy people and bring the gospel to a people group that nobody on the planet knew even existed. 
And now on last night to hear from Tim's son, one of his sons, two of his sons are going into missions, one of his sons going back to Indonesia, third generation, at 25 and 23, he and his wife to go into the jungles in Saram and bring the gospel to a people group that's never heard of the name of Jesus Christ. Not all of us are called to do that, and that's okay. But all of us are called to support that because that's, that's the mission. It, we don't own our lives and we don't have any rights. Our lives are his. And how amazing is that? Martin Lamb pointed out, he says, why is it that when we get to serve an earthly king, we call it an honor, but when we get to serve the king of kings, we call it a sacrifice? No, it's an honor to serve the one who loved us, created us, died for us, remade us, and is remaking us in his his image. That's the goal. So why do we get grace? So we can give it out to everyone around us. We can do the will of God. That's our purpose. It empowers us, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation of grace. Jesus Christ is that which empowers us to live a life of grace. As we'll see in just a moment, Jesus Christ receives the glory when we live a life of grace. But grace empowers us. God is at work in us to do that which is pleasing in his sight. As we learned again this week, missions exist because worship of God doesn't. What's the goal? The goal is Revelation 4 and 5. That one day we know there's going to be a scene in which people from every single tribe, language, and ethnos, ethnicity, every people group, is going to praise God, the one who made them and remade them in Christ. That's the goal. And now, as we sit here this morning, there are people that don't currently do that, so we must go or send so that that scene can become a reality, so that everybody might know him and everybody might praise him. He's the one that gives us grace so that we can become more like him every day. All to his glory. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Grace glorifies God. When we act in gracious ways, grace-infused, grace-filled ways, we actually act out the name of our church. (laughs) That glorifies God. Because it doesn't make sense to someone who has not been impacted by or a recipient of grace. It doesn't make sense to give sacrificially. It doesn't make sense to go, to send doesn't make sense to forgive, to love. It doesn't make sense to a world that denies God to act like God. What seems to make sense to our society is to act as though you are God. And yet to us who know that there is a true God, that doesn't make sense. What makes sense is to act like the one who gave us life twice. Through birth, naturally, and through rebirth, supernaturally. 
And so the foundation of grace, the outworking of grace, and now the beauty of grace, he wraps up these four short verses to give us some more final words as he enclose. First of all, grace speaks the truth in love. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. We might take a little bit of exception that he's written briefly. But he just wants to let his hearers know, listen, bear with my word of exhortation. Because understand the heart from which it comes. I'm not berating you. I'm not scolding you as a disappointed father. I'm not chiding you. I'm not condescending, patronizing, speaking down to you as one who is on a lofty height. No, 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 understand. I, like you, struggle with doubts, struggle with fear, struggle with going away from Christ. But I know that he is not only worth it, he is far superior to anyone or anything else. And so I'm writing to you to do the same. Stay in the fight. Stay in the race. Don't give up. And don't take my word of exhortation negatively. Don't get defensive. Don't push back. Accept it. Receive it with the love with which it's given. Stay in the race. Look to Jesus, the originator and the finisher, the completer of our faith, and realize there's a long cloud of witnesses that have come before us. Keep going. There's work to be done. Grace makes us family. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. We're not sure which Timothy this is, although it's a great probability that it is the Timothy that we know from the ministry of Paul. We don't know why he was imprisoned, perhaps for a brief period of time and for similar reasons as Paul and others were imprisoned. But the author tells the recipients of the letter, if Timothy's released and comes to visit me, the two of us will come together and see you. Grace makes us family. To see these tribal people on video, the other side of the world, just dancing with all they have because for the first time they're holding a copy of the word of God in their hands. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. They'll be around the throne with us, joining their unique language with ours in praise to the only one who is worthy. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Previously he has told them, follow your leader's way of life, consider it and obey them, submit to them, who love you and are guiding you and instructing you. And then all the saints. And those who come from Italy send you greetings. There's different ways this could uh, be interpreted, but probably the best way to interpret it is that the recipients of this letter are in Italy, either Rome or parts uh, of Italy, other parts of Italy. Some from Italy have come to wherever the author is writing from, and he's sending greetings from them back to their fellow believers. What a joy and a delight it is to know believers in Jesus Christ from around the world. We're all family, one big family, all serving the same king, all sharing the same good news, all believing the same truth. Only grace can do that. And grace gives life. Grace be with you all. That's how he ends, because that's how he started. And that's all throughout this letter slash sermon. What do we need? We need the grace of God. We need it for life, and we need it for life abundant and for the life to come. 
And so if you are here this morning and you do not know Christ, you're struggling, you're fearful, you're angry, you've been hurt by the church, thank you for being here and trusting us. I don't know all of your story, but if you are trying to run away from Jesus, that's a foolish, foolish errand. You can't outrun omnipresence. And if you're one of his, he will embrace you with his arms of love. And you will not be able to resist that love. Why would you want to? Our prayer for everyone here, this morning and watching online, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you know his love for you? The love of the Father, the love of the Spirit. Do you know his grace? Grace greater than all of our sin. Grace beyond our ability to comprehend. And if you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus Christ, are you living out of that grace-filled life? Are you attempting to earn God's grace? Stop. You can't. Can't be earned. It was yours before you were ever born. It cannot be earned. You can't get, make God love you more than he already does. So stop with the Pharisaism, stop with the legalism, and just live in light of his grace. Love him and love others around you. Act like him in your sphere of influence. And when you fail, not if, <laughs> when we fail, rely on that grace, trust in that grace. Throw yourself on that grace. And thank God for that grace. Maybe you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ or claim to be, and yet your life is not very gracious. It's not marked by kindness. It's not marked by being tender-hearted. You're acting in a way that is just like you would act if you were not a recipient of grace. I hope you have a gut check this morning, this afternoon, where is the grace of God in your life evidence? In the way that you treat others around you? Are you going to that individual who hates you and showing them the love of God? Are you going to that individual who you've had a grudge against, perhaps justifiably so in your mind, for weeks, months, or even years? And you're going and you're confessing your sin. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I want to love you as Christ as lo loves me. Just before I close with our response, one final story. Mike Grant, one of my fellow board members at Ethnos, shared this with us. Ethnos works in teams. When they go into the tribal villages, they go in with a team of individuals. And in one tribe... Two of the men in that tribe went into the tribe to share the gospel of Jesus Christ but could not get along. They were in competition with each other. When one man was teaching, the other was actively distractive, dismissive. It was very clear to the tribal people that these two individuals had no love for one another. 
even though they had come into their tribe to share with them the love of God. They learned the language. They walked through literacy. They taught through the story of Scripture and ethnos goes creation to Christ. Twice, no response. And so they're going to pack up and leave. And the one morning, the one guy said, I have been such a proud fool. I've allowed my own pride and, and, and my just desire for recognition and any number of things to get in the way and to cloud me from doing what God has called me here to do. I need to confess to my brother. And so he exited his home and found that this other brother was in the middle of the river washing his clothes. And so he walked out to him. And as he got out there, the other missionary said, I got something to tell you. And the guy said, no, I have something to tell you. And right there, they confessed to one another that they had just been in competition with each other. They had allowed their pride and their ego and their sin to get in the way. And they just broke down in tears. They confessed their sin to each other, embraced each other, and they left that river true friends. And immediately, the tribes people came to them and said, could you tell us that story one more time? And they said, why would you want to tell the story again? They said, well, we knew from the time that you arrived that one day one of you was going to kill the other. That's how we operate in the tribe. And we knew, we saw it. And we were watching. And when you walked out into the river, we knew this is it. This is the day. He's going to murder him. And we saw you embrace. And we know you must have left part of the story out. There's got to be some more to the story. Tell us the rest of that story. And so they stayed in the tribe, shared again the gospel, and people came to faith in Christ. Where are you in your life not living out the grace that has been freely given to you? May God help us. So our response this morning, are we living out of the grace that we receive. And I didn't put that in the past tense. <laughs> Daily we receive grace from God, grace upon grace. Are we living out of that grace in our lives? Let's look to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we are undeserving of your grace. That's why it's called grace. Perhaps there are some here this morning or watching online that are struggling. Perhaps they are frustrated and angry. Perhaps they are fearful and confused. Whatever it may be, well, they help them to know the truth. And the truth is we are not good people. There is not any good in any of us. We are sinners to the very core of our being. And yet you love us. And you sent your son to lay the foundation for redemption, salvation, and justification. And you sent your spirit to make that a reality in our hearts and lives. And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning or watching online that does not know your grace, that they would come to know you this morning. Father, for those of us that do, may it be seen in how we live. May your joy, your peace, and your love, and your goodness, and your gentleness 
and your kindness, your meekness, may these and so many other character qualities of you shine forth, shine bright from our hearts and lives. Not because we're doing more or trying harder, but because we are relying more on you and praising you and grateful to you for all the grace that you give us each and every day. Are we living in light of the grace that we receive daily? Father, may that be the case, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.